I was born and raised in Oakland, California. And uh, when did you start your music education? Oh, well, I grew up I grew up in a musical family. My mm-hmm. parents were both singers. I have the youngest of three boys, and my older two brothers also play string instrument. And to this day, my one of my brothers is a conductor and violinist, and another one of my brothers is a cellist. Have you always played the violin, or did you start out on a different instrument? Or? Well, I started on the violin, but um, oddly enough, when I was in junior high school and high school, I uh, I got into uh, some of the jazz instruments. I started to play trombone in high school and a little bit of string bass, but I never got very good on those instruments. But they did sort of introduce, you know, active playing and performing outside of classical music in a jazz idiom. And I think, you know, part that's partial. Uh, one of the one of the reasons that my interests uh, when I when I took those interests in, to the violin and started you know performing outside of classical. So, who was your greatest influences growing up? Were they were they violin players right away, or did you have other other jazz influences? Um, I liked music that I liked it it, it ran the gamut of styles and uh, you know if I think about records that I had that I played along with or that I listened to a lot uh, I have to say one of my you know teenage influences really was Carlos Santana I love Papa John Creech old fiddle player that played with Hot Tuna and uh, you know sort of an offshoot of the Jefferson Airplane I'm I'm I come from that like late 60s, early 70s was when I was in grade school and junior high school and mm-hmm. so, you know Santana and the Stones and the Beatles and, and um, uh, you know, San Francisco Boss Gags, you know uh, you know, that sort of style of music was so on the pop side, that stuff and then on the, on the classical side I was playing in youth groups and chamber groups and youth orchestras and and, uh, and and was being trained and learning the classics at the same time. So it was all equal to me in, in a certain sense, even though, um, you know, classical music was done in a hall and rock and roll was done in clubs. I wanted to go out and see Tower of Power when I was, when I was in junior high and high school, and I did many times. I should say Tower of Power is a big... Influence also a band from Oakland and, mm-hmm. and has that sort Born of band, yeah, yeah uh, still one of my favorite bands. When I when I you know when I when I've got a some cleaning up to do in my house, mm-hmm. I put on my Tower of Power CDs. <laughs> is being able to play by ear something that can be taught, or is that something that you're just born with? Uh, that's a really good question, and that really boils down to the individual. My mother sat me down from, I would say, as soon as I could sit up on a piano bench, my mother would sit with me and play and have me sing. And eventually from that, she taught me to sight read music, and then she taught me to sight sing, you know, music. And so... When you were how old? Well, I have, there's one recording in our family of me singing at two and a half. So... Um, I guess that's just lucky. I mean, I had a mother who was a music mm-hmm. teacher and an educator and determined to teach. I mean, she taught our family dog to sing. 
And it was, you know, it was a standing joke in our community of friends that, you know, my mom could teach anyone to sing, even the, even the dog. She, in or, you know, she, uh, the dog's name was Bagel, and and my mom would offer the dog a tree, you know, if the dog would vocalize. Right. And so the dog started, and she, then she would encourage the dog to do it more. So mm-hmm. she would try to get the dog to match pitches. What kind of dog? She was a sort of a mutt, but mostly beagle. So uh, bagel uh, the beagle. Yeah, bagel the beagle. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe if you do it young enough, if if well, but I don't want to say that because I come across people who are. I, I'm a music teacher and educator also, and. Uh, I think just the ability to sing or to internalize pitch or hear a note inside your head and find a way to recreate it on whatever instrument you're playing, it goes, it, it, it starts one note at a time. You know, there's no way really to become a good musician without studying some fundamentals about music. You know, really learning about the process. I mean, some people are musical and can just sing. Uh, but it doesn't really replace uh, musical education. I mean, if you take a look on YouTube, you'll see. I think okay. that I think that a good music teacher can educate students on how to create pitch inside your ear and vocalize that pitch, hear a pitch, sing a pitch, recreate a pitch on the instrument, and then. Really, all music is after that is a series of right. pitches or combinations of pitches. So you mm-hmm. have learned to increase that spectrum, put a few notes together, put a line together, figure out what chord's being played. So yeah, I mean, I think you know, uh, almost everybody's trainable, and there are some people that are maybe more musical than others. Mm-hmm. But I think um, you know, music is. Uh, it, it, it involves a cert, certain kinds of understanding, certain kinds of discipline and training in order to be proficient. But everybody has sort of an innate, natural musical ability. Okay. Well, how many hours a day do you practice? That varies with the. I'm sure it does, but I think it's kind of on average. With the num- with the amount of pressure I have on me about upcoming performances, mm-hmm. and uh, well, I spend. Uh, most of every day doing something either musical or paramusical. But in hardcore practice, um, it varies. uh, Like in preparation for this concert where I'm learning the piazzola, I'm practicing probably at least around two hours a day or one hour a day twice. Um, uh, And in my normal operations... I'm generally playing anywhere from two to six hours a day, and so some days I'm not actually practicing. Uh, but the more I practice, the better my playing is. So, and of course, as a kid, when you're learning the instrument, that's where the muscle memory and I think the rope memory comes in. Particularly for kids, regularity is critical, like mm-hmm. to a minimum of anywhere between 20 minutes and an hour a day, just so that... Uh, it becomes a normal thing to do and you're right. sort of warmed up as quickly as you start playing. So, yeah, I mean, depending on the age of the kid and what the concentration span is of, of, of a kid, anywhere, uh, you know, up to a minimum of an hour if you're in training and learning an instrument and then if you're serious about an instrument, you know, anywhere from an hour to a few hours... 
Uh, Suzuki Method, I think, is uh, a great system for teaching groups of kids to play. Um, you know, it gives them a, a really a, a guided tour of holding the instrument, of learning a series of songs. It has a method. There's a sequence in which material is learned, and I think there's a tremendous amount of value in that. And I, but I also think that once a kid is recognized as having a, a you know a unique talent for an instrument, then they might be, they might benefit from additional training. Mm -hmm. Um, because Suzuki's focus, uh, and I could easily be corrected because I'm not a Suzuki specialist, but uh, Suzuki's uh, focus is uh, really on the group learning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think um, it was designed within Japanese culture. Dr. Suzuki was, uh, you know, uh, uh, had developed a system to take large groups of kids and teach them proficient, proficiency on an instrument. On, on the violin, so there's a there's a lot to be said for it. But I think at the end of the day, when a kid really emerges with unique talent for it, mm -hmm. you know, they they would go to private uh, lessons, and also sort of uh, if it's in the it's if in the world of classical music, then they start um, with learning the s scales and systems and etudes that are more attached to classical pedagogy. So you mentioned as a kid, your influences were. Um, like rock and roll and pop, and then also the classical. When did you get into jazz? You know, I left out Joe Venuti and Stefan Grappelli and those early influences, okay. but the early fiddle players uh, meant a lot to me. I mentioned Papa John Creech, and you know, I didn't mention Sugarcane Harrison and uh, a Jerry Goodman and Sid Page from Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks. I mean, the people when I was young, hearing fiddle players playing with bands outside of classical music, you know, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, uh, uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra, you know, Dixie Dregs, uh, you know, all the bands that had really ambitious violin parts, these things were incredibly attractive to me because they were, uh, you know, f um, they were, uh, you know, virtuosic violin playing, but in, uh, in, in, in Maria. yeah, so I was really taken with them. When did you start writing? Well, early on in my 20s, I composed a couple of tunes. Uh, when I was young, I wrote a simple blues called Orange Juice Blues, because I love to drink orange juice in the morning. So I have a smattering of tunes through my college years. And um, after that, I it was really when I moved. I, I lived in Los Angeles uh, from 1980 to 1986, and I started a, uh, my violin jazz band, which was sort of a a swing era band, sort of a Chicago style, sophisticated sort of hybrid classical jazz band mm -hmm. that was in Los Angeles. And then in, in 1986, I moved up to Northern California to pursue my own musical interests moved back to the Bay Area. Uh, we had had uh, my, my first wife and I had our, our first son and uh, it was at that point after the birth of my youngest son who's now 31 that I started actually writing music for groups of for like chamber groups uh, for string quartet that was gave the beginning of Quartet San Francisco when I started uh, I was started working for San Francisco Symphony with their education, their Adventures in Music program, 
And instead of picking classical standards, I would compose pieces that had elements of classical music in it. And eventually I got sort of a body of material together enough to do a, an album. And that was the birth of Quartet San Francisco. Now we've got five or six albums and, and uh, combined, like, you know, seven Grammy nominations for our albums. You know, awesome. Series. Yeah. So did you uh, study arranging and, and scoring and all that stuff, or did you kind of just kind of pick that up on your own? Did, did you attend Not any sort formally. of a, um, conservatory or anything like that? No, but I did. Uh, I was the teacher, the, the jazz violin teacher with something called the Henry Mancini Institute, which started at Long Beach State and moved to UCLA, and it was a summer institute. And I attended a lot of composition classes mm -hmm. as a observer. I had a fair amount of experience writing, which actually grew out of my improvisation ability. One, I, I had played when I was in college at Sonoma State with a lot of bands, you know, for extra money out on the Russian River in California. Uh, and, uh, and, and at times, I would create arrangements for the band. So at, uh, at, uh, while I was in college, I would start writing things down. So I got a, developed a hand for it. But in the 1990s, computers were coming on. I got myself an early version of Finale and started doing most of my writing in the computer, on the computer. Mm -hmm. And I still write on the computer, not so much by hand, but... To answer your question, no, I didn't really go to school and take formal writing and arranging classes, but I had so much on-the-ground experience playing in orchestras, playing in string groups, playing in folk bands, playing in rock bands and blues bands, that if I knew what an instrument sounded like, I would know how to write for it because mm -hmm. I know where it sits. The, right, the, yeah. the things that I don't really know are the exact ranges of the instruments so I use guidebooks that mm -hmm. help me sometimes to know that you know a French horn's going to start you know getting squirrely from this right. pitch up or it don't, the bottom note is this or mm -hmm. you know right. I, don't, I play trombone I don't even know what the lowest note on the instrument yeah. is so but I know if I can hear a trombone playing that it's inside the range of the instrument right. so so when did you write Guamba? I wrote Guamba after a trip to Guam uh, I was uh, oddly enough. Oddly enough. <laughs> Let's see. I think I performed it in with Marin Symphony in '98 or 2000. First time. Uh, I uh, had been teaching at the Mancini Institute, and I was very interested. Guamba was originally written for string quartet and symphony orchestra, and. I was particularly interested in putting the string quartet central in the middle of the orchestra as the rhythm section. Because there are perceptions within the music business that strings are not, you know, we, we don't look to the strings for reliable groove and rhythm factors, you know, mm -hmm. in music, certainly in pop music. And in classical music, violins are more generally melodic in nature right. and the percussion section does the percussion but I I have you know developed a strong sense of strings need to be expressing time in in, in and expressing uh, you know good solid metronomic percussion and so I used the string quartet as the rhythm section 
And then and it sounded like the, the, some of the um, directives you were giving the orchestra uh, during the open rehearsal were, yeah, don't be afraid to bang on your instrument a little bit and think of yourself. Song. Think you, of yourself as uh, the rhythm section right. here, because we're not trained as with that as our reality, really. And it's unfortunate because strings in other cultures, you know, are are dance instruments. And they're much more rhythmic in nature. I mean, you don't have to go very far to, to, to hear this. So I just, I, I like that element in, in, I like that use of string playing. And I don't want, you know, in a jazz band, it's almost a joke if I turn to the, if I turn to the guitar player, the bass player and say, you know, listen to me for the time. They look at me and they think I'm crazy. But then I, you know, I'll play a little percussive rhythm or I'll actually play a melody that's got a lot of percussion or, or rhythmic uh, value in it. And, and they listen and they go, oh, okay, that's swinging. Because I think in jazz in particular and in tango, the rhythm that the, that, of the melody is equally as important as the actual melody mm-hmm. itself. The way the rhythm is expressed in playing of the melody.